Well, after a few weeks, we're back in Mark. <laughs> and uh, if you would turn to Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 42 through 50. 42 through 50. I've divided this text into three parts. Our previous message on this passage was on verse 42. This morning we want to look at 43 through 48, and then next time I am in the pulpit we will look into 49 through 50. Mark 9, beginning at verse 42, listen to the holy infallible word of God. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it, is be- it would be better For him, if a great millstone were hung around his neck, and we were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands that go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, This text is very direct. The words of our Savior are being spoken to us. We ask that we would seriously consider them this morning, consider them in our own lives, and that we would reflect upon what it means to live the sanctified life that is in Jesus Christ. May we be a church that exhibits that sanctified life. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as I looked out at the congregation this morning... Can it be said in light of Jesus' directive here in our text that we are living the sanctified life? Unless there has been a birth defect, perhaps a health issue, or a tragic situation in one's life, it seems that we have a congregation of people with two functional eyes, hands, and feet. Reflecting upon the words of our Savior, I do not think I see anyone here with a loss of an eye, hand, or foot 
because those body parts caused you to actually sin. Either everyone here this morning is perfect, or we realize that Jesus' words are not to be taken literally, only metaphorically. Well, the context itself points to the fact that we are to take the words of Jesus here as a metaphor. For example, look at the disciples, the disciples themselves. So far, we have been encountered throughout Mark's gospel that the disciples have not been responding to the ministry of Jesus Christ with faith. Their own walk is described in this gospel as sinful blindness. And yet none of them, we don't see any of them, that they have torn out one of their eyes. I believe on your outline I have a numerous text in terms of that theme in Mark's gospel. So what is Jesus teaching the disciples? What is Jesus teaching us this morning on the basis of these verses, verses 43 through 48? If you recall from our last message on verse 42, Jesus is now speaking quite frankly about sin in his kingdom and in his church. What are Christ's expectations and requirements for the examination of sin among those who follow him, those who are his disciples? Please note that this is an extremely serious subject in the Christian life. Christ is quite serious and direct. In these verses... He speaks of hell three times. Verse 43, verse 45, and verse 47. And he uses the imagery of unquenchable fire two times. Verse 43 and verse 48. Yes, Jesus teaches that there is a definite place. Hell as the place of eternal consequences for not coming to a saving faith union relationship with him through sincere repentance for one's sin. Indeed, Jesus, in his continual instruction and training of his disciples, has come to a most sincere discussion about the condition of sin in the Christian life for the sake of the purity and the sanctification of the church and his kingdom. In verse 42... We noted in our previous message on this text Christ's serious concern for anyone who causes someone to sin. And we pointed out that the Greek there is accenting the idea that causes someone to sin intentionally and knowingly. That it would be better for a millstone to be wrapped around their neck and thrown into the sea 
than to be taken into the unquenchable fires of hell. Not a pleasant scene at all. But on the positive side, there was a positive side to this. Christ is emphasizing how serious he is about the abundance of love and compassion and forgiveness as humble characteristics in the manner that we treat one another as followers of his saving name in a life of discipleship. True believers in Christ hear the application of Paul's words in Galatians chapter 6. We pointed that out in that previous message. If anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's words are a fantastic application of Christ's instruction here in chapter 9, verse 42. Don't cause someone to sin, but restore. Restore your brother Restore your sister in a spirit of Christ's gentleness. Such action fulfills the law of Christ. In verses 43 through 48, Jesus switches his address to the internal, the internal condition of sanctification in his followers. There is no doubt that sin has definitely been a problem among the disciples as they have been following Christ. In fact, the internal battle with sin is going to be a constant struggle for every follower of Christ. Isn't that true of all of us here this morning? Do not be mistaken. Although Jesus is using the outer extremities of the body hand, foot, eyes. They are parts of our personal bodies. And Jesus is using these parts to depict the action caused by the sinful condition that is in our hearts. There can be no mistake about Christ's concern for, holy, for the holiness of believers for the believer's life in his person and kingdom here in these verses 43 through 48. It is within those verses and the metaphorical reference to the parts of our body that Jesus mentions hell and the unquenchable fire. Hence, we cannot, in terms of ourselves, overlook self examination. So as we turn to Christ's teaching here, let us be sure that we understand what the term sanctification means. If this passage is about living the sanctified life in the church and in the believer, we need to understand what Christ is teaching about sanctification. Personally, I believe 
that a wonderful summary of Christ's teaching is found in the Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, question and answer number 35. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Notice, work of free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. I've always loved that last part in phrases. Enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Our daily holiness and righteousness in putting sin to death is the work, the free work, of the Holy Spirit in Christ's righteousness. It is the work of free grace. It comes to us as an undeserved gift to our whole body. Yes, both body, foot, hand, eye, and soul, our heart. Although the catechism gives us the scope of the biblical teaching about sanctification, Christ, in our text, is addressing us as responsible agents. He's addressing us, the church, his people, his followers, as responsible agents for our sin. For those who are true followers of Christ, They must understand the seriousness of living the sanctified life in Christ. Although there is no meritorious works righteousness in our sanctification, followers of Christ need to comprehend the importance of their own personal actions in the life of the church and in their own personal lives. Jesus here in our text is speaking right, right to us. As we look at verses 43 through 48 more closely, let me once more clarify that he is not speaking here about self-mutilation of certain parts of your body if you sin. The reason I want to point this out again is because God, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1, condemns such action in Israel. Christ would not violate the word of the Lord in this text. Hence, Christ is speaking here metaphorically in order to repeat for those who follow him to realize the deep seriousness of their sin. As we have already stated, he is using external parts of the body to express the condition of our sinful hearts. There are many directions to go with allegorizing the hands, the feet, the eyes. But I would like to remain within the context of scripture interpreting scripture rather than going on various rabbit trails this morning that may be entertaining but not really 
capture the revelational consciousness of our Savior. In terms of Scripture, interpreting Scripture, we have a good directive in what has been called the seven deadly sins recorded in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. The reason that we read those verses together this morning. The action of the hand can be used to shed innocent blood. What does that mean in terms of the context here? Simply the act of blaming accusing, endangering an innocent person for your own sin in your own personal gain. Proverbs 6.17. Next, the action of the feet can be used to make haste, to run to evil, Run to evil. Simply one hears of sin and evil and he runs, he rushes to go and he participates in that sin and that evil. Proverbs 6.18. And last, the perception of the eyes which internalize the pride and arrogance of one's own self-authority in their life. Simply one's eye sees with what we may call tunnel vision. That is, one's eyes only see everything within a closed world of self-gratification, of their own exaltation. They are above everybody else. Proverbs 6.17 But what is the source? What is the source of all our sin? The author of Proverbs makes it clear. Right in the middle, right in the middle of his list of sins, he notes that the heart, the heart is the source of all our wicked and sinful plans. Proverbs 6.18. Jesus is clear. Jesus is forceful. Jesus is direct about these external personal sins that have an internal source within our hearts about these various avenues of sin. He demands that we, he's telling us, As moral agents, he's telling us that we must act. It's in the imperative, in the attack. He says, cut it off. Tear it out. Verses 43, 45, and 47. For the follower and the disciple of Christ, sin must be cast out it must be expelled it must be removed if the redeemed sinner is going to live the sanctified life of dying unto sin in order to live in the righteousness of Christ moreover Christ does not mesh any words about the penalty of sin before a righteous sinless 
and perfect God. Sin, which is an attack upon God's holiness, requires justice for such prideful action against the absolute goodness and glory of God's being. Sin requires the absolute opposite of God's righteous glory. In the words of Christ, it requires hell. Verses 43, 45, and 47. The picture of hell that Christ draws for his disciples in our text is quite graphic. As they become familiar with the area around Jerusalem. Remember, that's where they're going. That's where they're about to see. The Greek word for hell here is Gehenna, which invokes attention to the valley of Hinnom, which is on the southwestern rim of the city of Jerusalem. At the time of Christ and the disciples, It is the place where the refuge, the waste in Jerusalem was taken, where fires burned continuously, and hence Christ's reference to the unquenchable fire, verse 43 and verse 48. The clear picture that Christ is placing before his disciples is that the penalty for sin, not living the sanctified life in Christ, is the eternal judgment of hell using the imagery of fire. Now, if you have an ESV before you this morning, you may note something. You may note (laughs) that there is no verse 44 and 46 in your text. You may have a footnote below saying that some manuscripts have added verses 44 and 46 with the exact same verse which we read in verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That is, in the valley of Hinnom, the place of refuge and waste. We do not need to get into the manuscript discussion here. But you should note the imagery of judgment in verse 48 that comes exactly out of the Old Testament. Very interestingly, in terms of what Christ is saying. In fact, Christ is using the worm and fire imagery here that appears as the final verse, the final verse in Isaiah's prophecy for the last judgment, Isaiah 66, verse 24. However, in our present context, permit me to draw your attention to another important aspect of the valley of Henan, Gehenna, in the Old Testament that has an interesting connection with the flow here of Mark's narrative. Congregation, one of the lowest and most sinful times in Israel's history was when their sons and daughters were sacrificed to the Canaanite god of Baal. 
Ahaz specifically mentioned as being involved in this disgusting act of sin. This was an abomination to the commandments of the Lord, which will be met with eternal judgment. Now think strongly upon the flow of Mark's narrative concerning Jesus' discussion with his disciples as he is training them about discipleship for the church. Go back, if you would, look back at chapter 9, verses 35 through 37. He took the child into his arms. Took that little child into his arms. And also, 9.42, his comment about the little ones. As we noted in that situation, scholars are convinced that the little ones there is a reference to the whole body of Christ, everyone. That Christ himself is drawing analogy from the child all the way to everyone in the church in reference to the child calling us all in the community of faith, little ones. Very interesting. Are you catching the incredible contrast in Christ's actions and words over against Israel's history of the Valley of Hinnom? Israel took their covenant sons and daughters as little children and sacrificed them to Baal. Christ is underlining as we reflect on the flow of his discussion here with his disciples that his covenant children belong to him and not to Baal. Covenant children belong to Jesus and not to Baal. It must never happen again within the covenant body of the triune God of heaven and earth that we give our children over to the gods of this world. Let me just say right here, our covenant children belong to Christ as he takes them into his arms because the resurrected and exalted Christ is pictured as a child in Revelation 12.7. I have brought that passage up to you again and again. Please don't miss that in terms of the covenant aspect of children. I plead with all those who are parenting right now in our congregation, please do not turn your children over to the gods of this world that surround them every single day. The danger is clearly before you in the text this morning. Christ is not finished about this point yet concerning how we are to view our covenant children in contrast to the valley of Hinnom 
when he tells us that the kingdom of God belongs to children. Chapter 10, verse 14, yet to come, yet to come. Now let me point out that it can be easy in our text here this morning to get so focused on the consequences of sin and eternal judgment that we lose sight of the encouragement the encouragement that Christ conveys to his disciples and also to us about our path of sanctification. Please, don't be depressed at this point. Christ's positive inspiration for his disciples and for us to live the life of faith in his name is provided in three phrases, three phrases After each warning that is before you, note the phrase after the first two illustrations Jesus provides. Here's the phrase, verse 43 and verse 45. It is better for you to enter life crippled, lame. To enter life here is a positive a positive statement to the disciples and to each of us this morning. He is referencing here the free gift of eternal life in his name. Remember the context, the flow of this chapter in terms of accenting his name back in verse 37 and 39. And the positive aspect of Christ's teaching reaches its high point in consummation in the phrase connecting the third illustration that he uses here. Note verse 47. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye to enter life in Christ is to arrive in his kingdom forever, forever. And from Mark's gospel, you know the condition of entering the kingdom of God, do you not? You remember the condition for entering into the kingdom of God, which Mark establishes at the beginning of the gospel, which is to carry you in terms of your own convictions as you read through the whole gospel. It's back in chapter 1, verse 15. For those who are to enter the kingdom of God, repentance for our sin and believe, trust, and rest alone upon the name of Jesus Christ for our redemption. So how do we live? Question that's maybe still in your mind this morning. How do we live without being crippled, lame, and blind? How do we live the sanctified life in Christ? We must embrace Christ alone in daily renewal of faith and repentance as he has freely accomplished 
our redemption by being delivered into the hands of men, being killed, and after three days being raised from the dead, once again reflecting on 931. Sanctification. Sanctification is submitting and living through the powerful, free work of the Holy Spirit applying Christ's efficacious crucifixion for sin and resurrection over sin and death. Yes, by living in the power of Christ's resurrection and having my sin crucified and cleansed on the cross, my hands, my hands are not crippled. I have two hands, do you not, in this church? You have two hands to protect the innocent and not endanger others in your own sin. I am not lame. I am not lame. I have two feet to flee from sin in my lone life and pursue the life of righteousness in Christ. I am not blind in one eye, but I have two eyes to remain focused, to remain focused on a life of faith and obedience to the law of my beloved Savior. Does Christ's redemption for you mean that my daily life is not crippled, lame, and blind? If you are in a vital, living, faithful, obedient relationship with Christ, yes, it does. Because we have been given the free work of his gracious redemption, even though, even though, we are still not perfect in this life. But in Christ, in Christ, we are being renewed, sanctified in the whole, in our whole person. Body parts and soul after the image of God in Christ by his spirit. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the work of Christ and also the steady application of Christ's death and resurrection through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would hear Christ's words this morning, that we would indeed cut it off, tear it out in terms of the sin that is in our lives. But help us, O oh Lord, to understand that it's only done by being obedient to Christ in his word and being obedient to the direction of thy spirit in our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would have willing hearts unto righteousness. 
Christ's righteousness for us. In Christ's name, amen.